Good morning, everyone. I was going down the elevator and uh, coming to church, and I ran into a family there, and I said, uh, are you going to prayer time? They said, no, we're going to breakfast time. I said, well, you're more holier than me, amen, you know? But thank God for that. We're so glad you're here. How many pastors are here besides Pastor C. Matero? How many pastors are here from the state of California? Any other pastors from the state of California? Brother C. Matero? Get to know Pastor Tom. Uh, pastor Tom C. Matero is a new pastor. Have you been there two years yet, brother? Three years. I, I, I've known of his church for many years. I didn't realize he grew up there, and I was so pleasantly surprised to see he was here. But we do ask on behalf of the state of California, especially Northern California, that you pray for our state. It is a mission field. It is not a state. It is a place of many multi-ethnic cultures. You come to San Francisco Bay Area, we take you so winning, uh, you'll quickly realize that English is the second language being spoken there. I'm challenging my church and vision casting for the next 10 to 15 years that all my staff members are going to be required to know a second language and to be able to minister effectively. I want, them, I want all of our, our folks very, very well trained and learn how to deal with agnostics and atheists, because that's what our area is, and a lot of Muslims and so forth. But they're all people this conference is about. People God loves. Amen? Amen. And I'm very thankful for this conference. Honestly, um, as I come this morning, I'm thinking about all the messages we've heard. How could you not be in a conference like this and not go away at the end of the day feeling like, God, you love me so much. I'm, I'm so, I feel so shallow. Amen. I was praying this morning, saying, Lord, just forgive me. I've just said this yesterday. Lord, I feel so shallow in my Christianity. And I think about the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God for me. And I'm reminded back in uh, 1971, I, I grew up at home, my, my maternal mother passed away when I was four years of age. She had a complication in surgery that should have happened, but she did. And uh, so my grandparents raised me for a couple years, and then I went home on the weekends to be with my dad. My dad was very heartbroken for a couple years there. And so a combination of my dad and my, my grandparents thought, well, you know, the best thing we, we could do for you for education is send you to a Catholic school. And they said, send you to parochial school. So all I knew from first grade until eighth grade was Catholicism. I didn't know there was anything else. And I was, you know, but I always had this nagging problem as I got, got older, you know, I got to about 7th and 8th grade, I had this nagging problem in my heart, and that is, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven, you know? And, and that, by the way, everyone who goes to church, they should be concerned about that. That's why you come to church like this, or a church like what we represent, and we tell people the truth. We tell them that God loves them, amen? And, and I appreciate the theme we have here, because I'm getting something. It was there that I, I've heard the gospel the very first time, and I didn't really realize, you know, I could be saved by grace and not by works. I said, altar boy, was number one in catechism. I could debate with the priests and the nuns. And I'd go to the priest and I'd ask him, I'd say, tell me how I can be sure I'm going to heaven. He couldn't answer the question. We moved to a different part of Oakland. Someone asked me yesterday, hey, where'd you grow up? I said, same area where I'm preaching. I know the area. And... Uh, Dad said, you're not going to Catholic high school. All my friends went to Catholic high school. I said, that's fine. We went to public school. Very first week I was there, I didn't know my way around. You know, I've been to a small school and a much larger school. First week of school, maybe it's the first or second day, I'm standing in line there, and a man comes up to me, a young man comes to me about my age, and he, he said, uh, Alan, what are you doing in the line? I didn't even know him. I didn't even know he knew my name. What are you doing in that line? I didn't know I was standing in line of se with seventh graders when I should have been with the ninth graders. You know, that's not a cool thing when you're in ninth grade, right? <laughs> and so uh, he said, come over and sit by some of us. His name was Bill. That very first week, Bill gave me a gospel track. First time I'd ever seen a gospel track. I looked at the pastor who is non-Asian, 
was an Asian church he invited me to. I saw the gospel in the back of it. I held the Bible before. I never had read it. He worked on me from that first week of September, or second week of September, until about Thanksgiving time in 1971. While he was trying to get me to church, another friend of ours was trying to get me to join the Boy Scouts. Honestly, the Boy Scouts sounded a little more appealing than going to church. I told my friend Bill, I said, I'll go. You call me every week, I'll go. It was Thanksgiving Sunday. My dad let me off. We owned a family business. It was just dad, mom, me, and an uncle that ran the store. I had to be there seven days a week. My, I still remember my dad did not take a vacation for about 12 straight years. I mean, he worked seven days straight a week. I watched, I watched him. He had a 103-degree fever. He got some kind of infection. He still worked and went at it. I mean, it was just, I look back in those days, I wish I, I was a little bit more cognizant of what my dad sacrificed for all that. But anyway, I went to church. Dr. Van Gelder, the preacher, got up preached from Daniel chapter 3. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I like using the Hebrew names because I think that's the correct name, amen? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego is their Babylonian names. He was done preaching. He gave the invitation. My friend purposely brought me up to the first row. I had no idea he put me in the first row because he wanted me to get saved. Second row, excuse me, second row. You know how we talk about someone holding the chair in front of them like this, their knuckles getting white? That was me. Fourteen years of age. I was feeling this pressure in my heart. I said, what in the world is going on here? I didn't know that was the Holy Spirit. And my friend said, Alan, do you want to go forward? I said, Bill, I want to get out of here. (laughs) I did. I told him that. He purposely let me out the door, the pastor... Shook my hand. He said, young man, you need to get saved. Man, that, that got a hold of me. I planned in my heart for the next several days. My friend Bill called me every Saturday night to come to church. May I say this today? Persistency works. I purposely, in my heart, said, I'm going to prepare to tell Bill I'm not coming to church. He called me that Saturday night, six days later. I still remember it was 7.30 at night. We had a split-level home in Oakland. My, my mom still lives there. Our family was downstairs, living room upstairs, kitchen's upstairs, bedroom's upstairs. I was down in the family with my dad. He was working on his books. I picked up the old, the old rotary phone. Some of you young people don't even know what a rotary phone is, amen, you know? <laughs> and for 15 minutes, I worked hard, and I told Bill, I'm not coming to church. He, I could tell he was disappointed. Dr. Van Gelder, I had hung up the phone. I had not hung up the phone for a minute. The doorbell rings. This is November, and in Oakland. Now, if you think Oakland's bad now, it was bad back in 1971. Dad said, go open the door. I said, Dad, you remember, you don't have me open the door. He says, go open the door. Go see who is it. So I went upstairs and opened the door. There at the door was the ninth grade boy Sunday school teacher. He said, hey, do you remember me? And I, I said, yeah, of course I remember you. You taught the ninth grade boys class. I didn't know what was called Sunday school then. And we were meeting in a, I think our class was in a 15-passenger van. <laughs> How could you not remember, right? <laughs> Can I come in? I said, yeah. He had just graduated from a one-year Bible institute in 1970 at the old Tennessee Temple University. That was back in the day. 
He was on fire for God. He spent from 8 o'clock, 7.45 or so, to about 10.15, opening the Word of God, telling me how to get saved. I kept telling him, no, no, no. But the Lord was using his word to work in my heart. And God sent the right soul winner because he was patient with me. Dr. Van Gelder, I didn't realize that time. I was thinking about this the last two and a half days. God's love was coming through that soul winner. And I got saved that night. He asked that question. He said, now I've answered every question you've asked me. You haven't answered my question. Well, two and a half hours later, I couldn't remember what the question was. <laughs> you know the question was, if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I said, Noah, based on what you told me, if the book says I'm going to hell, I guess I'm going to hell. He says, why do you want to go there when you have a God that loves you and wants you to go to heaven? Yeah, that night I bowed my head and received Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. You know, I'm thankful that the love of God, as we've learned the last two and a half days, it's a growing process. I think all of us have felt very inadequate and very, as I said, very shallow as we've heard the preaching. Because most preachers in this room, most Sunday school teachers, you've taught at least one or two times and preached maybe many times on the love of God. And I think we can honestly say it's not been exhausted by any means. So following Dr. Van Gelderen and Jim Van Gelderen, Rick Flanders, and then of course last night, Brother Shetler, just, he just exploded all over here, amen? I can't get on my mind, he tried to drown his own church members, you know? <laughs> hey, you know, brother, I tell, I tell people this before I baptize, and I say, now if you're not nice to me, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, you know? <laughs> And I'm kind of reminded of a, a man who immigrated from Italy, and he grew up in the country, upper state New York. It was springtime, and he wanted to plant a, dig up his yard for a tomato garden. But he was old, work was too hard, ground was too hard. And his oldest son, Vincent, would normally help him, but Vincent was in prison for a very terrible crime that he did. So he wrote a letter to his son. He said, Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to dig on a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me. Love, Dad. He gets the letter back a few days later from his son, Vincent, who went by the nickname Vinny. This is what Vinny wrote. Dear Dad, don't dig up the garden. That's where I buried the bodies. Love, Vinny. <laughs> that morning at 3 a.m. in the morning, the FBI and the police came and dug up the entire yard. No bodies. He said, sir, we apologize. We tore up your yard and made a mess here. You have to figure out how to fix it up. That morning, he got a letter from Vinny. Dear Dad, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. 
That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. So, preacher, I'm going to do the best I can under the circumstances, trying to follow all of you guys there. But let's stand for the reading of the scriptures this morning. I want to thank Dr. Van Gelderen, Dr. Jim Van Gelderen, the wonderful, loving staff here at Falls Baptist Church. Thank you for all that you've done for us. It's been a great conference. Let's give me a hand. Would you join me? Amen. Thank God for that. Now, there's hospitality that we're thankful for. I tell you, I love that, but I'm very thankful this is a conference that's been prayed over and wept over. A consistent, seamless theme to help us. Our churches and our lives will be much better because of this conference. So much we can tell our church about. I think for all of us who struggle in some area of our life, we have found that the security that's found in Jesus Christ more than compensates for our insecurities. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth Live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Our Father, this morning we are thankful for just even the privilege of being alive today. We thank you for Falls Baptist Church, the anointed leadership of Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen, All the work, effort, thought, prayer, things taken off the schedule, things added to the schedule, all the extra care and concern being exercised and poured out upon every delegate here. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for this conference. It was not designed to be a filler but that we'd be full of the Spirit. It wasn't designed necessarily, Lord, that to recruit students for the college, but we know in the end result, who wouldn't want to send a student here to get trained and to be nurtured in the love of Jesus Christ? And we're thankful today that for all the things that will be surrounding this ministry, the vast majority of us here or going back to places and areas that you've called us to. The Falls Baptist Church members will remain here. And the most important thing of this conference, Lord, is that we have received an inflow to touch us and love us. Is, Lord, our responsibility for the outflow of that. That, Lord, as you have filled us up, that what would come out of us would be the love of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Father, I need help this morning. 
I need by your grace and your power to compensate for my shallowness, my incompetency, my inadequacy, my inarticulation. And ask God for these wonderful, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, co-laborers, and people who love you. Through your word, I pray this morning, and through the Holy Spirit of God, love on your people. Father, do a work that I cannot do. Cleanse all of us from the filthiness of flesh and all superfluity of naughtiness. And that we may receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save souls. And thank you this morning, the Bible says, having therefore receiving these, having received these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Father, we realize this morning that as we consider the holiness of who you are, that everything about you is holy. You're holy in your justice. You're holy in your mercy. This morning we need you to be demonstrate to us and work in us the holiness of your love. Father, I fear this morning in such a way I want to be such an extension of Pastor Van Gelderen's ministry right now. But more importantly, Lord, to be your conduit. A vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. Father, our world is dying and going to hell. That's nothing new to you. On the verge of reaching perhaps 8 million people. And the honesty about in our hearts that we have to face and come to grips with where there's not enough churches, not enough being started, not enough missionaries being sent out, not enough preachers being called to get the work done. Father, for a few moments I pray that even as I'm preaching that we would be like Jesus. We'd look on the fields which are white unto harvest and have great compassion. May on our heart and our lips this morning we would fulfill that which Jesus said we must do to pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send forth labors into the harvest. Lord, there needs to be a major conversion this morning of hearts and that conversion is realizing we need to be lovesick for souls. For if the love of Christ could constrain Paul, how much more it needs to constrain us? Father, I ask your blessing your t- on this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are phrases and verses in the Bible that are very familiar and gripping to us. Uh, for instance, Psalms 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. How many glad he's your shepherd this morning, man? We're praying this morning that Jesus Christ will demonstrate himself to us as the chief shepherd and bishop of every soul. But there are phrases like that. There's phrases like Matthew 7, 7, asking shall receive, seeking ye shall find, knocking shall be open unto you. There are verses like John 3, 16, which we could quote in our sleep, for God so loved the world. I mean, there are many verses and phrases in the Bible that are very, very, very unique, and just God, God just put it there to be just something that would be on our mind and heart. And I think for all of us this morning as we love our Lord and we think about the great work that God has called us to, I think one of those verses, if you've been in the ministry any period of time or you're around people any period of time, I think this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.14, is just one of those verses that jumps out at us. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The word for constraineth is found 12 times in the New Testament. Very interesting word. We'll spend a little time on that this morning. 
This idea of something compressing us. You know the term, those of you from the country or work on farms, you know the term a cattle squeeze? We get our word cattle squeeze from that word constraint. It talks where Paul said, I am in a strait between two, talking about a ship going through an isthmus or strait there. It's compelled, it has to go through that. That's the idea he has here. The Bible says in Acts 18.5, Paul said he was pressed in the spirit. That means he was constrained. It's the same idea we have about uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law who lay sick of a fever. It means to be taken over, to be overcome by a power stronger than you. It's the same idea of Publius there in Acts chapter 28, who the Bible says he was, he was there sick of a fever and of some kind of a dysentery, some infection he had in his bowels. He was overtaken by that. Paul, as he thought about all the words that God had put in his mind, one of the words the Holy Spirit gave to him is this word in 2 Corinthians 5.14. says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. I think of the word constrain, I think about the word lovesick. Being so... In love with someone that you've given your love to them and there's no reciprocation in return. But it doesn't change your love. You love them regardless. You love them to them just like it says about Jesus in John 13, 1. He loved them to the very end. The Apostle Paul's writing in the book of 2 Corinthians, as many of you know, that one of the things that Paul does there, he's giving a defense of his apostleship. The very people that he poured his life into and he gave the best of himself to them, and you, you know this, I mean, Corinth was not an easy city. It was a very pagan city, a very difficult situation there. Paul went in there, of course, I love reading 2 Corinthians 6. He talks about, you know, the, 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 the backgrounds of these people, and he talked about what they wore, and he says, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. Paul loved them. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, now, you, you know, he says, you only have, you know, he says, I'm your spiritual father. You may have 10,000 structures, but I'm your spiritual father. I mean, Paul loved those people. Yeah. Sometimes we read about Paul, we think he was just a, you know, a short, very type A, very mean, very just, you know, he had to get to this point. Listen, Paul loved people. You can't read the epistles without realizing Paul loved people. Now we get to 2 Corinthians 5, and he's writing this letter to these people, and they're, they're just, you know, they're just, they, they, they said things like, well, you know what, Paul, we really don't know if you're really the real deal. And they said to him, they said, Paul, what we want you to do is, why don't you get some re- letters of reference when you, if you ever come back, or bring some letters of reference here to, uh, to, to, to tell, to, just so we know that you're the real deal. He says, what are you asking for? He says, I, spent, I gave you my life. I spent my time here with you. And so he takes time in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. He actually shows 2 Corinthians 3, and he's going through all the way through chapter 6 to just defend his apostleship. They said he's not real. They wanted to know his credibility. And Paul gives us 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, he didn't say me, he said us. Because what was true of him was true of the gospel preaching team that went with him when he went to Corinth. There was Silas, there was Timothy, there was Dr. Luke. That same love Paul had for the church at Corinth, that gospel preaching team had for them too. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
that he died for all, that they which lived should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Maybe a love sick. Are you willing to love people that will not love you in return? Are you willing to love people that will throw a stone at you, as Dr. Shetler mentioned last night, that even would spit on you? They'll let their dog loose on you when you knock on their door. It's happened. Or you open the door and they're having a gun in their hand, they brandish it, it's happened. Or they'll shoot at your buses, or they'll kick your soul winner off, or they'll use COVID as excuses, don't knock on our door, somebody here has COVID. We have that in California. We have some people that somehow stole the yellow tape from the police and yellow tape their homes just so you don't go there. <laughs> Paul was driven by love. We read 2 Corinthians 5, and he talks about, you know, the judgment seat of Christ, and he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, and knowing that God has given us his ministry of reconciliation. But right, right there in the middle, 2 Corinthians 5, he said, I want you to know something. The love of Christ constraineth us. I want you to see some things about the love of Christ. Number one, would you notice the performance in the love of Christ? Agape Christos. I think about all the terms and names that speak of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the anointed one. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Lord who is the everlasting Father. Do you ever think about all the names of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ? Every name that has the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Out of every one of those names, you cannot study them and think about them, meditate on them, or preach on them without realizing the love of Christ is in every one of those names. Paul was consumed with the love of Christ. He said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. Gave himself for me. Dr. Jim talked about you know the this this matter of the flesh yesterday, and you know we have this battle of the flesh. You know Paul's solution that's Galatians two twenty. He says it's because Christ loved me. I think about Paul. He said in Ephesians five two, as he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, "Walk in love, even as Christ has loved us, and hath given himself to us for us as a sacrifice, as an offering, as a sacrifice." It's a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, the love of Christ reaches high depth, breath. No matter who we are, where we're at, the love of Jesus Christ reaches us. Amen. Listen this morning, how many are busy people? Amen? I remind you today, the love of Christ reaches the busy. Hey, Pete, Peter, Peter and his brother Andrew were busy. James and John were busy. Jesus walked by the shoreline of Galilee. He walked there. He reached his busy people. Nicodemus was a busy man, and Joseph Arimathea was a busy man. I'm thankful this morning the love of Jesus Christ reaches the busy. Amen. You know, sometimes we may think about people in our community, people that are in different segments of where they're at, and we think, well, you know, we've got to find a way to get to them. You know, if you just start praying for them, the Lord will show you how to get to them. COVID came. In California, we got shut down. 
Most churches got shut down. By the second week of preaching to an empty auditorium live stream, I said, this ain't going to work. Who said, ain't, brother, you're using ain't? I'm going to use ain't too. Good English. Amen. I started praying and said, Lord, I'm not even sure if we can go so many right now because just everything's all clamped down. I started praying. I said, Lord, what are you going to do? I said, I can't let this, our church go one month without an emphasis on souls. They're going to start, they're going to, start to fossilize. God put in my heart to start a, a ministry called Prayer Works Ministry. I thought about Acts chapter 16 when Paul started, the, when God led Paul to the church at Phil, the Philippi to start the church. Do you know that church started because of a prayer meeting? I saved a woman by the name of Lydia. She said, if you judge me faithful, you can meet my house. Church was born there. I mean, she got saved, first convert. They had a house, they got a property. Hey, you're a church planner, pray for something like that. God will give you a property like that, amen? Amen. At our prayer merch ministry, we... Got a phone number. We put very strongly on the area. He says, hey, you know, a lot of people, are, you have tension, burdens, concerns. Call our prayer works line. I have somebody there to pray with you. Listen, we've, we're leading people to Christ off that. Amen. I'm not going to let COVID inhibit what we're doing. Because people need to know somebody still loves them in spite of all the things going on out there. Amen. Hey, Jesus, listen, the love of Christ reaches the busy. The love of Christ reaches the blind. Blind Bartimaeus, shh, be quiet. Bartimaeus, be quiet, you're too noisy. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He said, what will that I can do for you? I'll be glad he reached you, amen. amen. Love of Christ reaches the busy. The love of Christ reaches the blind. Hey, listen, the love of Christ was reaching the banished. Those who were lepers and outcasts and normal society didn't want them. Hey, when we leave this conference, we need to kind of walk through our cities a little bit there and yeah. walk through some areas and remind ourselves there are some people that are just on the outskirts. You might call them the banished. Yeah. Now, I understand they may be high maintenance, and I realize their return on investment may not be like somebody else that you, like your next-door neighbor, but they still need to get reached. Yeah. Amen. They still need Jesus to love them. Because the kind of love that they've been receiving is exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's a false love. It's a perverted love. It's a yeah. twisted love. It's, it's not even love. Right. Mind this morning, the love of Christ reaches people like that. The love of Christ reaches the broken. Hey, read your Bible. How many broken people in life? I mean, I think of Jairus' servant. I think about the nobleman who walked 15 miles from Capernaum up to Cain of Galilee to see Jesus. And he saw Jesus. He had the means to buy doctors and medicine. All the But listen, there came a point where doctors and medicine could not help that young man. He said, sir, come down here. My son died. I, mean, I don't know if this man ever prayed before, but he prayed at that moment. He said, Jesus, he said, sir, which is the word kurios. We get our word Lord from. He said, sir, come down here. My son died. Listen, my son is broken. He needs you. Aren't you glad Jesus reaches the broken? Oh, he loves the broken. He loves the bereaved. During COVID and during the last couple of years, we've had so many opportunities. I mean, it's, it's kind of a bittersweet thing where you're, you're having a, a service for someone who's passed away. But how many understand those services are gospel preaching opportunities? Oh, my stars. We had a man saved in our church. My daughter-in-law, she wasn't my daughter-in-law then. My daughter-in-law, Jennifer, she uh, went soul winning, knocked on a door. A man by the name of Les Johns opened the door. 
retired Navy veteran, came out of a Catholic background. My daughter-in-law and another lady explained to this, this older man how to get saved. He got saved that day. It was, it was sometime, it was Saturday in February. He had four failed marriages. He's living in his fourth one. I've met his wife. He had a hard marriage. All Les knew all his life was hatred till he learned about the love of Jesus Christ. He passed away on July 4th, 2018. Excuse me, July 3rd, 2018. His wife Lori called me up on July 4th. It was a national holiday. I recognized the number and she said, Pastor Fong, Les just passed away. I said, oh, I didn't know that. I said, what happened? She said, he just fell in the kitchen two days ago. We took him to the hospital, and he passed away. Then she said, I know you were his pastor. Would you do his service? I'd love to. She's Catholic. My wife and I went the next day, July 5th, to see her and her sister. I talked about Les's salvation. I sat down with her, tears coming down my face, my wife's face. We told, them how, we told them how to get saved. Those two ladies got saved that afternoon. Amen. She went from being bitter and hard and difficult. She said she wanted to tell me the order of the service. Now, as a Baptist preacher, I don't like being told the order of a service. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't work. I said, she said, and she asked me, she said, what do you propose for the service? And knowing she had a Catholic background, they tend to, you know, they, unless you really, they understand all that, they, they tend to just have some of their Catholic upbringing there. So I said, here's what we're going to do, boom. Well, they switched on me on the day of the funeral, but I was prepared for that. They, they had a priest that came and do his whatever incantations, whatever he had to do there, you know. And I said, Lori... I said, you do what you have to do, but I want to be last. Yeah. 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 Oh, if you've never done this, always make sure you get the last word in. Yes. Amen. Always get the last word in. Make sure you open the service, you close the service. Amen? Yeah. Amen. He did his thing. I'm, I'm, just, I'm sitting back there thinking, God, help my soul. I'm about to knock this guy out here. <laughs> I was doing this for him, amen, you know? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I was just, I'm going to knock this guy out if he doesn't stop. He's speaking in tongues or something there, man. That wasn't Latin, man, you know. <laughs> My term came up. He knew I was going to preach. He'd heard Baptist preachers or Christian services, so he quoted all the verses. He read all the verses. And uh, so I, I said, uh, my wife said, are you going to, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to preach the Bible. They said, you only have 15 minutes. I said, well, 15 minutes is a long time. Yes. Amen. So what if you're a 15-minute preacher? It's, listen, if somebody's dying, you can get it done in 15 minutes. Amen? Yeah. Right. Amen. I told those people it was a full house. And I told my church the night before, we had Sunday night service, a Monday funeral. I told, I told the church, I said, now, as many of you as you can, his wife was Filipino. I said, I want all my Filipino members, if you can get off of work early, I want you to fill the back of the room with me. We had a full house. Half was their family, half was my church, half my Filipino members of the church. I gave the gospel. 
When I say gave the gospel, I mean I gave the gospel. I did something I normally don't do in a service like that because I'm just trying to be sensitive to the, you know, the people and their sorrow and things. I said, you know, Les is in heaven with the Lord. He's, he doesn't have any more pain. He doesn't have a walking problem anymore. I said, folks, he's saved. Amen. He's more alive now than he ever was. Yes. I said, he's graduated. He's earned his reward. I said, there's going to be a reunion one day, and I get to see Les again. But some of you in this room, because you're so stuck in your tradition, you're not going to be part of that reunion. You're going to be part of a different reunion. They knew what I was talking about. I said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to tell you how you can get saved and go to heaven today. And when I'm done, I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to ask you out of respect to Les Johns. I'm going to ask you to stand and testify with me that you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior. You know your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. I gave the invitation. You could hear people praying all through the room. I'm not sure how this was going to work out. I hadn't done this before. I said, how many of you would stand and acknowledge you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior? Well, he had a son from a previous marriage. He's the first one to stand up right over on this side here. Then another person over here. By the end of the day, there were 20 people that stood and accepted Jesus Christ, their Savior. Majority of them were Catholics. The love of Christ reaches to bereaved. It reminds this morning, it's not in the notes, but the love of Christ reaches those who are bitter. But I want to tell you this morning, the love of Jesus Christ reaches the believer. How many are you thankful this morning? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. You see, we see the performance in the love of Christ. But notice, secondly, we see the purpose in the love of Christ. Notice verse 15. He died for all. There's purpose in that. The theme of this conference is extreme love. And this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Hey, there's purpose in Jesus Christ. There's purpose in His love. And so the Bible says, goes on and says in 1 John 4.10, Hereby, he says, he says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hey, aren't you glad for that hymn that says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty love that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Listen, I remind you today, the purpose in Jesus Christ's coming was to be the sacrifice for your sins and mine. But I want to go beyond that. I remind you today, Jesus Christ was our substitution for us. He didn't do it because necessary because he had to. He did it because he loved us. But God commended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's substitution. He took our place. But remind you, Paul was so caught up with what he was writing there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he went beyond that in Romans 5.9. He says, much more than, how many glad this morning there's much more than in salvation, amen? 
Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. He's the only one that can take your sins away. He's the only one that can take our place. He's the only one that can satisfy all of God's demands for sin. But then I think about Christ's sufficiency. And he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And underline those two words, the whole world. Let me tell you right now, there's no limit atonement in that. There's no irresistible grace in that. He paid the sin debt. He paid it in full. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I remind you this morning, he's our sacrifice and he's our substitution. I remind you, he's our sufficient. But listen, Jesus saves. who died for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. There's purpose. There's purpose. A lot of things have happened historically that have purpose, but they have no meaning. They have no relevance. The purpose in Jesus Christ dying for us has complete relevance. He's still saving souls today. But then I see something else. I see, I see, the, I see this morning the, the performance in the love of Christ. I see the purpose in the love of Christ. But go back to verse 14. Would you notice the pressure in the love of Christ? And it's a good pressure. Constraineth us. Luke 8.45 talks about the throng of people. That's where we get our word constrained from. Paul, as I said earlier, he said, I'm in a strait between two, like a ship in a strait. He said, for the love of Christ, constrained. He says, listen, he said what Peter and John said after they had been censured and could not preach the gospel anymore. They said, for we cannot but speak, uh, speak the things which we've seen and heard. And Paul's just saying, here, listen, you, you, you're questioning my credibility. You're questioning my apostleship. But I want to tell you, I showed you, I demonstrated to you the love of Christ. I stayed up at night. He said, I was bivocational during that time. I made tents during the day. But he said, I I stayed at it, and I stayed at it, and I stayed at it. It wasn't because I had to, it's because I loved you, because I loved your soul. The love of Christ constraineth us. And I'm going to tell you, if you, get, you put yourself in the shoes of the Apostle Paul, it's the love of Christ that constrained him to plant all those churches. It's the love of Christ that worked in Paul's heart as he started from Antioch of Pisidia, and he worked from, actually from the island of Cyprus to the Antioch of Cipidia, uh, Antioch Pisidia, going there to, uh, to Iconium, and then going on to Lystra and Derby and getting stoned there at Lystra and Derby, and then getting right back up and going back to the city, preaching to the same people that had stoned him. And then going on from there, he's going on to, he goes to Troas, and the Holy Spirit three times tells him, no, you're not going there, but he knows God loves him, and he knows God has something for him. Sometimes I've heard it preached, well, Paul got all stressed out. He may have got stressed out. I think he just needed that time to let God love him. There at Troas, he saw the vision of the man in Macedonia. Come over and help us. And he went there to Philippi. And he went from Philippi to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica to Berea. And he went from Berea there to, 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 excuse me, to Berea to Athens. And from Athens, he went to Corinth. And from Corinth, he went to Ephesus. And later on, we read about the gospel spreading throughout all of Asia uh, Minor, modern-day Turkey there. And we read about Paul doing all that he did. He's at Crete and other places there. But what compelled a man like that to travel all those roads and go to all those places without public transportation? And many times being down to his very last, the last 
my very last penny, then what did he ever have to do? What, what, what compelled a man like this? Right here in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. A medical doctor, a preacher, excuse me, in the state of Ohio, had a cardiovascular surgeon in his congregation. He said, Doc, he said, I'd like to ask if you'll let me come and watch you do an open heart surgery one day. For his pre-COVID days. <laughs> I just said, sure. I'll work it out, Doc. He said, preacher, I'll work it out. He said, I've got just a surgery. Woman had a very um, damaged heart. And he said, now, preacher, he says, you're going to have to put on all this stuff and you know, wash your hands several times and you have to be several feet behind and behind this window, so you, but you'll be able to see everything. Surgery started. The surgeon, his surgical team got all scrubbed, ready to go. The ladies laying on the table. They start the surgery, makes a careful incision, attaches her to a machine so that her blood is continued to circulate and had to remove her heart. There's only a skilled cardiovascular surgeon, but he started working her heart. Whatever had to be done was repaired. He picks up the heart, inserts it back into her chest, starts reattaching the vessels. And it always amazes me all the microscopic things they do. It's just amazing what they do there. I pray for this for every, for every surgery. I said, dear Lord, guide their eyes and their hands and their minds skillfully, carefully, professionally, and wittingly. Amen. got her heart reattached. He started to go like this to massage your heart. No heartbeat. He starts to massage it again. No heartbeat. He starts to massage it again. No heartbeat. He bends down with a surgical mask on his face to her ear and he says this, Mrs. Johnson, I fixed your heart. I did everything I need to do to fix your heart. But you've got to tell your heart to start beating again. As soon as he said those words, the EKG started beeping. Beep, 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 beep. Her heart started beating again. He did everything he needed to do, but she had to get her heart beating again. Hey, brother and sister in Christ, we need to get our hearts beating again for souls. You can hear all the preaching that you need to hear, but you've got to make a beat. You've got to get that love of Christ constraining you to get it done. Desmond Doss, some of you might know that name, went to represent our country in World War II. When he came in, the Army said, you're going to have to carry guns, son. He said, I'm not going to carry a gun. Why are you going to go to war? He said, I want to serve my country, but I'm not going to carry a gun. So they said, okay, we'll make you a medic. They trained to be a medic. His group of men were sent to Okinawa. Many of you might remember this, the Battle of Okinawa. Okinawa. He's most famous for being there at Hacksaw Ridge. Our military sustained severe casualties that day. Desmond Doss is on the back there watching fellow soldiers go down. 
He could hear the groanings and cries all throughout the battlefield. At that moment of time, a surge of courage, compassion, and obligation filled the heart of Desmond Doss. For 12 very long hours, Desmond Doss developed a, some kind of a gurney and system by which he lowered these fellow soldiers that were wounded. He'd go onto the battlefield, take one at a time, lure them down that ridge. Twelve hours later, he had helped rescue 75 wounded soldiers. His left arm was shattered through all that, never regained use of that arm. Several injuries. Desmond Doss kept going out. One soldier on my shoulder, next one. 75 soldiers. You do the math, that's six per hour. You're talking about picking one up after the other. They're bleeding out. They're injured. Suturing them up as best he can. Lowering them down. This is all done and set for. Desmond Doss is recognized as a military hero. The media came to him. They said, Desmond, how did you do all that? This is what he said. He said, I looked on that battlefield. My heart stood to flood with concern for them. He said, I prayed this prayer into my breath. He said, Lord, just help me to get one more. Lord, just help me to get one more. You see, when the love of Christ constrains you, you're going to be praying the same prayer. Lord, just help me to get one more. Lord, just help me to get one more. We see the performance. We see the purpose. We see the, pr the pressure. But you notice something else. I'm going to do something very unusual. I want you to see the picture. Would you go with me to 1 Kings chapter 3? 1 Kings 3, notice verses 16 to 29, a very familiar story. King Solomon is the king. The verses preceding that, King Solomon has prayed for wisdom. God's told him, I'll bless you with wisdom because you asked for that. Verse 15 says, He came to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered a burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast all servants. Then we're told the story about two women that came. Do you remember that story? Two harlots. The Lord wanted us to know about their occupation. The Lord wants us to know about their sin. And it happened to be these two harlots, these two women lived in the same home. It happened to be that they were both pregnant with child. The first woman gives birth to her baby son. The joy of maternity, motherhood is set in with her. For the first three days, she's nursing him, taking care of him. She's doting on him. She's just loving the son. This other lady, supposedly her friend, her housemate, she gives birth to her son three days later. On the day the second woman gives birth to her son, the Bible tells us she overlaid the baby, and as we understand the story there, the baby suffocated and died. Very sad situation. But the second mother is looking at this baby. She realized the baby's not moving, so she has this idea. And she goes to the other woman's room. It's at midnight, the Bible tells us, and she switches babies. 
She actually stole the baby. The first mother wakes up in the morning, or whatever time it was that morning, and to feed her son, and she noticed there is no movement, no breath. Just said, what's wrong with my baby? First, she knew the baby was dead. Secondly, she knew that wasn't her baby. Well, she gets up, she goes to the other room, and probably she sees that her baby's over in that room. Hey, that's my son. Well, that's my son. That's my son, like two women fighting in Walmart during Christmas time, amen? <laughs> well, they weren't going anywhere. They appealed to the highest court of the land, King Solomon. Both ladies present their argument to King Solomon, and the first lady says, well, this is my son, and he was born, and she, then three days later, she had her son, and she overlaid her son, and she, the baby died, and she switched babies on me, I want my son back, and the other lady said, no, 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 that's my son, she's telling you the wrong story, she, she's making that up, she's all delusional, she doesn't know what she's talking about, this is my son, they'd go back and forth, back and forth, and Solomon's there listening to the situation, and he's, and he's praying for wisdom. He said, tell you what, bring me a sword. I said, I'll cut the baby in half, give half to one and half to the other. And the mother, who was the, the real mother, said, no, no, king. Don't do that. I'd rather she had the baby than for you to split the baby in half. But the second mother says, that's exactly what you do. Cut it in half and give half to her half to me. Very interesting. That Notice that passage of Scripture starts at verse 16. For 13 verses, we have this account. Then we get to verse 26. Would you notice verse 26? It says, her bowels yearned upon her for her son. The love of Christ constrains us. There's something going on inside of us like this woman. Our bowels yearn upon us for souls. I want you to think with me for just a minute of this picture. Here we have this first mother and her cause. She's filled with love. She's filled with great passion. She's filled with a great urgency. I've got to get my son back. This is my baby. I've got to get this son back. And so the Bible says her bowels yearned upon her for her son. I May mean, remind you this morning when you are filled with the passion of God. And the love of Jesus Christ, there's something about that that energizes you. There's something about that that defines you. Listen, a person who has passion, that's something they get up early for, they stay up late at night for, they'll stay to the very end. Passion would drives a pastor to be the last one to go home when everybody else, to be the last one to go home from church when everybody else has left. Passion would drive you to start a church. Passion would drive you to oversee your family. Passion would drive you to start a business. Passion of an idea to get is something going to what drives you. Listen, passion is the difference between winners and losers. Passion is the difference between an Olympian who gets a gold medal and just a common athlete. Hey, passion is what inspires a woman that might be four feet, ten inches tall and only weighing 80 pounds, but she sees her little baby trapped in the car and with superhuman strength, she picks up that car to lift, get, get her child out. I mean, some of us need to be moved with passion. Amen. This woman had passion. She had a cause. David said, what have I now done? Is there not yet a cause? We've got a battle out there. And listen, my heroes are here. I don't know why you're fussing at me, Eliab. I mean, somebody's got to go out there. He says, what did I do wrong? Is there not a cause? I'm going to tell you right now, people are going to criticize you. You want to be a soul winner. There's some people that want to be your friend. I got good news for you. They weren't your friend anyway, Amen. 
Not unless a close friend. This woman had a cause. This woman had a contention. The other woman came and switched babies. She stole her baby. Hey, listen, watch, look up here. Can I tell you something this morning? The love of Christ constrains you. Some people want to steal that passion. Some people want to steal that joy. Some of you may have gone so winning before and you were faithful at it and something, somebody or something came along and stole that desire. Be careful. There's always someone out to steal that love that you have for sinners. But something else gets my attention there. We go a little bit further down and the second mother says, yeah, cut it in half. Cut it in half. Give half to her half. She says, if I can't have my baby, she can't have hers. Hey, let me tell you this. Not only are there people out to steal your passion, there's some people out that want to kill the program. They want to kill the church. They want to kill soul winning. They want to kill the budget for reaching souls. They want to kill your passion. They want to cut it in half. This woman had a cause. This woman had a contention. But notice this. This woman proved her credibility. The king wanted to find out who's the real mother. The real mother said, no, give her the baby. I'd rather she had it. The one who wasn't the real mother said, that, cut it in half. He says, that's the real mother. You want to show you're a real Christian? Go win some souls. Get a burden for people. Go to the mission field. Go take a short-term mission trip. Be here, be at your, your organized so many times as a church. Take some gospel tract with you. Carry some tract with you. Wherever you go, look for opportunities. Give the gospel out to somebody. Engage people in conversation. I mean, there's somebody next to you you just don't know that needs Jesus Christ as Savior. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what's broken their heart. But there's somebody that God has sent you to to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, to get the gospel to them. And just get yourself filled up with the love of Christ and realize, as the Apostle Paul, the love of Christ constraineth us. I see something else this morning as we close. We see the purpose. We see the performance. We see the pressure. We see the picture. But as we wrap this all together, would you notice the priority? For the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And I love verse 15, because you have to tie it together, that he died for all. That they which live, how many glad you're alive this morning, amen? Amen. That they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves. That's when the love of Christ is working in you. But to him, unto him which died for them. 2016, I took one of our men, Sony, with me. That time he was just going through college. His name was Din, one of our Vietnamese men. I said, Dan, I want to help you. He's very shy. Not one given to speaking in public, but very, very intelligent young man. I said, Dan, we're going to go down a street here. I want to take you so with me. I took him down a street called Belvedere. I've been on that street many times. You know, Dr. Miguel, it was one of those mornings where God just anointed that morning. We got to home. A lady I'd spoke to before, I remembered her face. And, I don't, and to this day, I don't even remember. She still remembered me. But she was about to take her mother to the doctor. She opened the door and just stopped and let me talk to her. Her name was Rose. I told Rose how to get saved. 
This is what she said, Brother Raven. She said, she said, Preacher, do you think Jesus would save me right now? I said, he sure can. She said, I need to take my mother to the doctor. I said, Rose, I said, there's a doctor waiting for you right now. Amen. She accepted Christ at her door. Amen. I didn't know all the background at that time. Tears are welling up in her eyes. I met her mother. It's a Filipino family. We called the grandmother Nanai. So I said, Nanai, I'll see, you, I'll see you next time. So I got really burdened that week for that family. And I told Rose, I said, now Rose, I said, now I want to meet your husband. I said, it doesn't stop with you. I want to meet your husband. He needs what you got. But I got burdened that week, and I went back, and Rose wasn't there, but her mother was there. And I thought, you know, I better bring one of my men that can speak who can, who can speak Tagalog very well to translate for me just in case because I wasn't sure if Nanai could understand English very well. She's about 85, 86, 87 at that time. And so Brother Josh and I sat down with her. She received us graciously and marvelously God worked through him. And he, said, he told me later, he says, my pastor, he says, I was really scared. He says, I haven't used my Tagalog like this in a long time. He said, I didn't know if I was speaking in tongues or out of whatever there, you know. I said, I said, if you speak in tongues, I'm going to meet you up, brother. You better not do that, man. <laughs> Don't do it right now. We're talking about souls right now. Well, that grandma got saved. Amen. Grandma came to church that Sunday. Joy of the Lord all over with, with, with Rose. Well, fast forward from there. They're coming to church, working on them. I'm praying for her husband to get saved. And, you know, sometimes Rose, they had a lot of family obligations. Sometimes they'd be there, sometimes not there. Well, finally, her husband came. His name's Arnold. I didn't know anything about Arnold's background. I didn't know he was ex-military, things like that. And a uh, little bit, little bit um, standoffish. And so, you know, I tried best I can to just be very friendly with him. Arnold just was very standoffish. He came for about six months. And I told Rose one morning, we were shaking hands, people going out. And I said, Rose, I said, I'm coming by this Saturday with my wife. We're going to come see your, your family. I said, I want to talk to Arnold about, it, about his soul. She said, Pastor, I'll be ready for you. I'll get him ready. Went that Saturday. They received us graciously. They had dessert and everything. I said, let's put the dessert on the side for a minute here. I said, we'll get to that. And I sat right up next to Arnold. And I, I, and I just, and again, I do things unconventional sometimes. I don't know about how many you preachers do, but I do things unconventional, very unpredictable. Like Donald Trump, amen, you know? <laughs> now, I got this, I got this, I don't know what the term is. I don't like sitting very close to men. How many understand what I mean, amen? But I sat real close to him. And I said, Arnold, do you know why I'm here? Yeah, I think so, Pastor. Come on to get saved. The same tears that welled up in his wife's eyes when she got saved, they were welled up in his eyes. Arnold said, Pastor, I, I need to get saved. I've been hearing you preach for six months. I need to get saved. Amen. Catholic background. And I'm telling you, Prayer works. Amen. Yes. Amen. All the resistance that was there previously was broken down. Amen. I mean, you know, the term low-hanging fruit, that was low-hanging fruit that morning. We're about to dig into the dessert. I was looking forward to that. Amen. The sliding door opens, and a man comes through the door holding a towel. He's got a T-shirt on. He's in his, wearing his flip-flops. And Rose says, oh, this is my brother, Chuck. I say, hey, Chuck, how you doing? Good, and he had a big smile on his face. He didn't know it was coming. He lived, in the, he lived in the, behind the house. 
And, she, and Rose said something to him. I said, Chuck, I said, uh, I said, hey, you look like you just woke up. <laughs> you know? So I said, um, you know, when, you know, before you do anything, would you come back here? I want to tell you something great. So he put his towel down and stuff. He sat right next to me. And I, then I scooted over and got real close to him. <laughs> Chuck got saved. Amen. Well, they, they all got baptized about two weeks later, four of them. Fast forward 2020. The Sunday before in March, before everything shut down, Arnold, Rose, Chuck, and Nainai are all sitting probably six rows back. Nainai's like a grandma. Went up to her. She gave me a hug. I gave her a hug. I, I said, so good to see you. She's a pastor. I'm going up to Seattle to see my daughter. Please pray for me. I said, I will. You need to be careful. I said, this stuff is all going around. Well, that week, everything got shut down. Rose calls me up. Pastor, the following Monday, after everything's been shut down for a week, she said, Pastor, please pray for Nanai. She said, she's in the hospital. We think she got COVID, and she's pretty sick. You remember those early days, just everything's unfolding. There was, there was shortage of PPEs, and they didn't know what they were dealing with, and they didn't know, you know, all these different things. And unfortunately, because of underlying health conditions, stuff like that, she had a combination of pneumonia and COVID. Nanai is the matriarch of the family. We prayed for her. Three weeks later, the Lord took her home. Very devastating to the family. I didn't realize how big this family was. In those early days of COVID, we, we, we couldn't do indoor funerals. So we had to do it at the gravesite. Even there, they did social distancing. If you can imagine, it's even at the gravesite. It was crazy. So my son Justin came with me, and I said, um, he said, what are you going to do, Dad? He said, well, I said, I'm going to give the gospel. <laughs> I said, D.L. Moody preached without a microphone. John Wesley preached without a microphone. I could preach without a microphone. Amen. Hey. I shouted out, and I said, man, I can imagine when Jesus gives a shout, the dead in Christ is going to rise up, amen? amen? I gave the shout. People got saved. Amen. But I didn't get a chance to meet him because everybody's scared about COVID. Well, their family's grieving over that, and I said, you know, we've got to fight with your family members, and people got saved, things like that. Well, now a few months goes by. Arnold contacts me after Sunday morning service as pastor. He said, we need you to pray. We, because Chuck wasn't in church that day. I said, uh, he said, would you pray for our family? He said, Chuck went missing last night, and they found a car that matches the description. We think he got killed in a car accident. So I'm waiting on this. They confirm it late that night. They says, yeah, they confirmed it. The family went by. It's Chuck. He somehow he went too fast, took a curve, and the car went over. And I'm going to be with the Lord. Things are starting to open up in California in our area. And I went to the family and I said, I'd like to do your, the service for your family if you'll let me. Now, normally not that forceful, but I knew how big that family was because there was like at the, at the gravesite for Nana, there were over 100 people there at the gravesite. So I said, the family's much bigger than that. They said, Pastor, you're a little bit ahead of us, but we want you to do the service. So we're in this county where it was much more open than my county. I did the service and I determined just like I did for Les John, I said, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm not going to stop preaching until people get saved. And I'm telling you that morning, I led three of her sisters to Christ. I led grandchildren to Christ. I mean, people are getting saved right now. There are about 15, 16 people got saved that morning. We go to reception afterwards, and I meet one of her nephews. His name is Omar. Omar had a rough, rough childhood, and he, 
He chose more out of a reaction to become Muslim, but not out of practice. Changed his name and everything. And Omar was nice to me, but very standoffish. And they said, man, he's a tough one. I said, there's nothing too hard for God. Amen. Last year, they had a wedding for one of Arnold Rose's sons. I came. I prayed over the family. Got to meet a lot of people I didn't know. Got to see, got to see some of the people that are out of state that got saved. A lot of the ones out of state, they probably in the area where they, for COVID purposes, they weren't going to church, but they'd watch, they'd watch me live stream on Sundays. Well, we couldn't find out after, the sur- after this wedding that they said, Omar is a 31-year-old man. I mean, very, very strong, very muscular young man. He's about 6'1", probably, probably just, you know, probably about 195, just all muscle. They said, Pastor, we need you to pray for Omar. He's got a heart. He was born with a heart defect, and he's got a lot of pain in his chest. 31 years old. He's, he's going to have to open heart surgery. I said, wow, he's pretty young for that. They said, we don't know how you're going to reach him. I said, I do. I said, just give me a couple days. I'm going to pray over this and get God's mind. I said, give me his phone number. I sent him a text message. I said, Omar, this is pastor. I said, I'm the pastor for the rest of your family. I'm not going to force you. But I said, you're in a very critical situation. Would you let me pray for you? This is September of last year. Weekly from September to the week before Thanksgiving, I called Omar up and prayed with him every week. I told his mother, who I led to Christ, who went through breast cancer and led her to Christ, I said, I told her, I said, Lisa, I said, now, Omar's having surgery on a Tuesday, excuse me, on a Wednesday. On Tuesday night, I'm going to pray with him. I said, you need to make sure you're on this phone call with me at 6, and I need you to pray all day with me. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell him how to get saved right then and there. So I said, Omar, I said, now, I'm not going to be disrespectful to you. Yeah, I might sound disrespectful. But I said, you know, we're praying for the surgery to go well. But there's always a small percentage it may not go well. And I said, if you die on that operating table, and I told him about how, what happened to my mother when I was four years of age. I said, she had an open heart surgery. So it's supposed to be normal. She had a complication from anesthesia and never, never woke up again. I said, that could happen to you, Omar. I said, you can die and go to hell. I was very blunt with him. I told him how to get saved. When I was done, I asked him this question. I said, Omar, can you think of any reason why today you shouldn't get saved and Jesus Christ shouldn't be your Savior? Brother Raven, without, a, without skipping beat, he said, Pastor Fong, I can't think of a reason. I was waiting for you to tell me. I want to get saved right now. Amen. Folks, I can tell you story after story after story. The love of Christ constraineth us. A man by the name of Harry Winston very famous jeweler. Had a very prestigious jewelry company there in New York City. A Dutch diamond dealer was looking for a specific type of diamond. Very large, very expensive, very exquisite. Harry Winston heard about this diamond dealer and he said, Sir, I think I have the diamond you want. This man made arrangements. He came from Europe over to New York City, made arrangements, came over to Harry Winston's store. Mr. Winston met him, greeted him, first-class service, brought him to a private room for a showing. He said, sir, now this is my best salesman right here. This salesman knows diamonds better than anybody else in this industry. I'd like for him to sit down and explain to you everything about this diamond. So Harry Winston closed the door slightly, 
looked through the window and he watched his salesman as he was making the presentation, but he was watching the customer also. This Dutch diamond dealer was getting fidgety and within five minutes he gathered all his papers, put in his briefcase, shut the briefcase and started making his way out the door. Harry Winston saw the deal was about to go sour there and immediately he walked up to me and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, I don't think you have what I want. He said, I don't think this is what I want. He said, wait, wait, wait. wait. Would you just let me take a moment to talk to you about the diamond? And Harry Winston brought the man back into the room and started explaining a couple things about the diamond. He talked about it. And within minutes, the man was signing a contract to buy this very expensive, exquisite diamond. The deal got consummated. wrote a check to Harry Winston. They shook hands, and he said, hey, Mr. Winston, I just have one question for you. He said, what's that? How is it that I could say no to your salesman but say yes to you? And buy this diamond. Let's not tell you how it is. This man knows everything there is about diamonds. He's the best in the business. But I would gladly pay him three times what I pay him right now. And he's paid very well right now. For one thing he lacks. He said, you see, this man loves He says, this man knows diamonds. He says, I love diamonds. And I close this morning to say, you know Jesus Christ. You know the love of God. You know how to tell people how to get saved, but do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? The love of Christ constraineth us. Listen, when everybody else bails out, when everybody else says it doesn't work, when everybody else says it's not relevant, when the contemporary church says we need to bring the contemporary music and all that other junk into church, I'm going to tell you, so many still works because it works through people that bring the love of Jesus to other folks there. You know it, but do you love him? In a moment, we're going to give invitation. This conference has been beneficial in more ways than we'll ever know. But this, this conference will have lasting effect when each of us takes the love of Jesus Christ and allow it to constrain us to go into the highways and hedges to compel them to come in that God's house may be filled. Oh, listen this morning. Let's love our Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that his love permeates to us and, and the outflow is to us that we love sinners, we love our community, we love our area, and let's win souls to Jesus Christ.